0: Welcome to the English Montreal School Board Podcast, where you'll hear from the people within the EMSB community and beyond. beyond, people with some inspiring stories, and people who work very hard to make this board, the EMSB, the choice of thousands of families. Here's your host, Suzanne Deshotel. Monday, August 31st marks the first day of a new school year. Now, this is a day a lot of parents usually rejoice with a return to routine, but of course, there's no usual routine this year. COVID-19 has changed everything for everyone. So, we here at the EMSB thought it might be a good idea to talk to doctors to get some really good sound medical advice for parents and students and teachers and how to approach what is going to happen on August 31st. I say hello and thank you for joining us because these doctors are so busy these days. Dr. Gerald Freed, who has done a stint as head of surgery at the Montreal General, he is currently a professor of surgery at McGill Medical. He's also an MUHC surgeon as well as Associate Dean, Education, Technology, and Innovation. Hi, Dr. Freed. Hi, Suzanne. Good to speak to you. Also joining us, Dr. Debbie Schwartz, who has three young school age children, uh, one in daycare, two, one starting elementary, and one already in elementary at uh, Merton Elementary. And she is also an ER physician at Lachine Hospital, as well as a family practitioner at Sante Montréal. I'm exhausted with all you have to do. Dr. Schwartz, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Also with us is another very busy doctor, Dr. Christopher Labos, who is a cardiologist and an epidemiologist. Dr. Labos, thanks for joining us tonight.
2: My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Dr.
0: Freed and Dr. Labos, you both went to EMSB schools. I'm curious to know what effect that had on what t- turned out to be these remarkable careers. So, Dr. Freed, let's start with you. Uh, you went to Hampstead right. Elementary. And did anything there spark your interest in medicine?
3: Well, Suzanne, uh, one of the experiences that uh, really was important in my development was the assignment to do a scrapbook when I was in grade five. And uh, I was assigned to do a scrapbook on cancer. So I went to the World Book and uh, Encyclopedia Britannica. I did a lot of uh, literature review. And I had the gall to actually call up the director of cancer research at McGill. And he was kind enough to have me come and meet with him uh, and talk about uh, how uh, cancer was being researched and uh, and it really resonated with me. Not that I became a cancer doctor, but after that, I re- really, really uh, focused on wanting to be a doctor.
0: Wow, that's amazing. So grade five, that's what you're 10 years old about? Right. Yes. Wow. Amazing. Dr. Lavos, you went to Lauren Hill. And I understand that they have a program called hops. Can you explain what that is?
2: Yeah, sure. So that's the uh, Hospital Opportunities Program for Students. And basically, the the idea of the program is that you would take senior uh, high school students, go to the hospital for one day a month or a half day a month or every two months, and we would see how the various departments functions. So they would bring you to the surgical suite. They would bring you to the respiratory lab. Uh, they would bring you to the hematology lab. Uh, and you would see how the hospital functioned to give you a taste and to, I guess, foster people's curiosity in the practice of medicine. Uh, you know, not necessarily to become doctors, but to see how all aspects of the medical system functioned. And one of the, uh, I guess, defining moments for me was at one point they brought us into the surgical suite, and I, you know, I thought it was, you know, very interesting. I had no problems with it, and everybody was asking me before and after. It's like, oh, did you faint at the sight of blood? Did this, did the, you know, did the fact of seeing a, a you know, a, a human body bother you? And the answer was no. I, I seemed to, you know, it was perfectly fine. It didn't bother me in the least. And that's what really uh, showed me, I guess, and allowed me to prove to myself that I wouldn't be bothered by uh, the aspect of practicing medicine. So it became a, a viable career path for me basically going forward from that point. So that was your spark. That was, yeah, that was the first moment when I really thought, oh, maybe this is something I could do as a career. Let's talk about what parents are
0: really waiting to hear. And that is how do I keep my children and my family safe during this pandemic and get my children back to school? while keeping everyone safe. And Dr. Schwartz, let's start with you on that question.
1: Um, I think the number one concern on on parents' minds right now is back to school. Um, People are, the biggest concern has been moving forward, why the government has stated that it's mandatory to return back to school. And so obviously we're getting a lot of requests for doctor's notes. There are parents who prefer to keep their children home um, and continue online learning. And then, of course, you have the parents that are, you know, they would like their children to return back to school um, because they do recognize the importance of it for their children. But they're scared and they're anxious and uh, people don't know what to believe. And the truth of the matter is, is that a lot of us don't know all of the details because nobody really knows at this point all of the details of COVID, unfortunately. Um, people want to know, uh, should their children be wearing masks? Should they be wearing visors? Uh, you know, How far away they should be sitting from students? And, and there's just a lot of questions, a lot of unknowns moving forward.
0: There must be ways to approach this.
1: Um, absolutely. Um, absolutely. So moving forward, what I think is very important is that your school has a proper protocol in place, which is very detailed and very outlined. And I'm very pleased to say that our school has done that um, with the help of our fantastic principal. Um, so I think that this will help quell a lot of anxieties of parents moving forward, because if you feel that your school has a solid plan moving forward, I think that that will help a lot. The most important thing is really going to be keeping children that are sick out of the school, um, children that have family members that live with them that are sick. Um, those children need to stay out of the school as well. Limiting congregating areas within the school, uh, having children wash their hands and sanitize their hands multiple times throughout the day, um, and uh, having proper ventilation systems in the school, whether that be opening windows or actual ventilation systems, because a lot of these buildings are quite old, unfortunately. Um, so I think that those are really the, the most important things to, to address. And of course, there's the issue of masks, um, which, which the government has addressed and has mandated for the ages of grade five and up, um, only in hallways and when kids are moving from one place to another. I believe that there's still, like I said, there's still so much, unfortunately, that we don't know about COVID. I would prefer to err on the side of caution. I believe, as both as a parent and as a family doctor, that there's not much to be lost by enforcing masking for all ages. Um, I'd probably say something like grade one and up, just because I really do feel that the kindergartners are very young to be wearing masks, especially for a good portion of the day. My main concern with masking is that the children are touching their masks. I can tell you I wear a mask probably 10 hours out of the day. Um, even as an adult, even as a trained medical professional, it's very hard to not touch your face and not touch your mask. So my concern is that the children are going to constantly be touching their masks. And then not properly sanitizing in between, so that would be my only hesitation regarding masking. But after much thought, I really do believe that the um, benefits would outweigh those that particular con. And I think that what's important to recognize as well, moving forward, is that this is an ever-changing procedure. Um, So what we're going back to within the first couple of weeks of school is not necessarily what will be continuing moving forward. So I think that there's nothing wrong with saying that all children should be masked moving forward um, and then reassessing the situation.
0: I think that's the most important is to remain flexible. Uh, Dr. Fried, what can we tell our youngest students? So
3: I I think it's an opportunity for us to develop habits in them that will be enduring. And uh, some of the things uh, are to set examples and be role models for them and also to make it fun. So I think things like uh, hand-washing, uh, that's something that that young kids can can learn to do and do well. I have a granddaughter, for instance, and she is meticulous about it. And she calls me out when, um, you know, when she sees that I'm mm. washing my hand. So I, I think, uh, there, there are games that can be played. I think there's role modeling that the adults have to do. Uh, and I, I think the the other thing besides hand washing is trying to keep the hands out of the mouth, uh, particularly for young kids, and uh, to be a little bit protective of their Uh, toys and stuff that they share, you know, if they're putting their hands in their mouth and they're very young, then those toys should be segregated from other kids so that they won't handle them and put them in their own mouth or eyes. So keep
0: sharing down to a minimum. Dr. Labos, what are your thoughts on a second wave and are we well prepared?
2: So yeah, this is the question everybody's asking, is there going to be a second wave? And the answer to that is Probably, but importantly, not inevitably. There was an interesting study that was published just a couple of weeks ago in the Lancet, and this was a simulation study. And so researchers said, let's create a mathematical model to estimate what's going to happen when schools in the UK reopen. And they said, let's take the worst case scenario. Let's assume that children are as infectious as adults, which is probably not true. And let's assume that students are going to go back to school full time, which is not a given in the UK. They have been talking about doing some sort of part time scheduling to reduce class sizes. But they said, let's take this model that assumes the worst case for everything. And they said, what's going to happen? And they predicted that with the advent of school, if you start having spread of the virus within schools, which again is not a given, you would have the peak of a second wave around December, which makes sense because this is how most respiratory viruses spread. They tend to peak in the winter months when people are gathered indoors. But then they said, what would happen if we could implement a proper contact tracing protocol? And so what they said was, and I'll just drop, get, get the numbers now so I can quote this stuff to you accurately. What they basically said was as long as we can contact trace everyone who who's positive so basically what that means is if, if, if you have a student who tests positive test everybody they they came into contact with and if one of them tests positive test everybody they came into contact with so if you can correctly identify and test two thirds of all positive contacts and then also test about three quarters of the people who develop symptoms so test these people isolate the people who test positive and put them into quarantine for two weeks, you actually will prevent a second wave from happening. A couple of important points to take away from the study. Now, granted, it's a simulation study. It's a mathematical model. They make certain estimates and assumptions. Fair enough. But I think the take-home message that's important here is that, number one, we probably can reopen schools safely. Two, the key to containing this virus is going to be an adequate testing strategy. And we saw that with countries. Countries that tested aggressively at the beginning prevented massive outbreaks. I think what's most important is that we don't have to be perfect, right? As long as we can identify two-thirds of contacts and three-quarters of people who are symptomatic and test them, we can prevent. So we don't have to achieve 100% thresholds to be effective. So we don't have to let the perfect become the enemy of the good. So with all this stuff that we talk about, yes, it's important. At the end of the day, what becomes critically important is do we have the capacity to test people, get the results quickly, and isolate them? Because again, the virus can only spread from person to person. So if you deny the virus that ability to spread from student to student, you won't have large numbers of cases. It's probably not realistic to expect that we're going to have zero new cases when schools reopen. But if we test aggressively and test adequately, it's very possible that we can keep the number of new cases to a minimum and prevent a second wave from happening.
0: Regarding children with allergies or asthma, who might, you know, look like they have a symptom of some sort, but they actually don't. How should that be approached? Dr. Schwartz, do you want to take a swing at that?
1: Sure. Any new symptom should be addressed. A new symptom. Yes. Yes. Any new cough, any new runny nose, and if there's any doubt in mind, then quarantine and test. Um, so that's really what's going to be most important, and I, I think that's what you know our priority is to keep keep it out, keep the illness out of the school as much as possible. And of course, as Dr. Labovs mentioned, we are not looking for 100%. That's uh, you know, it, it, it unfortunately that may not be possible. So I also don't want people to be discouraged and to be hearing, see, we told you so, you know, once, once there are children that are going to get sick because this will happen. We have to expect that. And the, the key is going to be uh, isolating and quarantining and contact tracing and basically stopping that spread. Okay,
0: Dr. Lavo's mentioned something interesting like we might not see this till December. Now, of course, we're into flu season at that point. So, let me ask about a flu shot. Who should get it and will it make a difference regarding what uh, these children are going to and, and teachers are going to be facing this school year?
2: So, to the question of should you get a flu shot? The answer is yes. Yes, absolutely you should get a flu shot. It's the same message we tell people every year. The flu shot is not going to stop you from getting uh, COVID-19. But you have to remember, in our worst case scenario, we have, let's say we have a bad flu season and we have also a bad COVID-19 season. Now you have two respiratory viruses landing people in hospital. Don't forget, our hospitals operate at near capacity most of the time. It's not going to take much to overwhelm stuff. Anybody who is otherwise healthy, who doesn't have an immune deficiency can and probably should get the flu shot. Because even though, uh, you know, children can get the flu as well, that's not impossible. So but by at least getting the flu shot, you're taking at least that off the table. Because even if, as with COVID-19, even if you're young and healthy, maybe you won't get that sick, but then you can spread it on to someone else. So the whole point of vaccination is to reduce the burden of disease and reduce transmission. So until we get a vaccine for COVID-19, at the very least, if you get the flu shot, you're, you're removing that potential issue from society. And so now we only have to worry about one virus. We don't have to worry about both of them at the same time.
0: Okay, doctors, we are running out of time. I have one last question and I would just like to hear a yay or nay from each of you. School buses, another big concern for parents. Now, they have cut the number of students that are allowed to be on the buses in half, and nobody's allowed to sit together unless you are a sibling. Uh, my question to each of you is masks on the bus?
2: I would say yes. There's virtually no downside to it.
0: Dr. Schwartz, how about you? Absolutely, yes. Okay, so masks no matter the age. Uh, once again, Dr. Gerald Freed, who was with us, former Hampstead student, uh, currently professor of surgery over at McGill, and he is an MUHC surgeon and associate dean, education technology and innovation. Thank you for your time. Dr. Debbie Schwartz, who's got three children, uh, three little ones, two at uh, Merton Elementary, ER physician at uh, Lachine Hospital and a family practitioner at Sante-Montreal, also, Dr. Christopher Labos, a cardiologist and epidemiologist. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to the English Montreal School Board podcast with Suzanne Deshotel. Make sure to subscribe to this and the Inspirations Podcast, Quebec's only podcast dedicated to the special needs community, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening.